The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you or somebody you know hoard? You aren't alone. Hoarding affects millions of people throughout the world. You can do something about it and regain personal control. Welcome to Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over with host Elaine Birchall. Reduce and relieve yourself from the shame and blame clutter causes in your life. You can do it and we'll show you how. Now here's your host, Elaine Birchall. Hello everyone. I'm Elaine Birchall, your host and trainer as of today, here to help you take back your life when your things are taking over and to understand and manage the piles and perhaps pathways in your life or the life of someone you care about. I so appreciate having this opportunity to be with you on Wednesdays from 10 till 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America's Variety Channel. Are you ready to begin moving forward today? You can choose just to listen in if you want to. You can email us at elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca or you can call in if you have any questions or concerns to 1-866-472-5788. Today's show is titled Understanding Hoarding, Part 2. It builds on two weeks ago, Part 1. The title is The Fundamentals That You Need to move forward. If you or someone you care about hoards, today we're going to discuss more hoarding fundamentals to make it possible for you to understand this complex disorder so that your efforts to deal with it stand the very best chance of being productive. We're going to begin with a short review from part one in case you're just joining us for the first time today. We're going to recognize hoarding disorder if it's present. I'm going to give you a working definition and an easy way to decide if what you're looking at right now that troubles you is actually hoarding. Not every mess on the floor is hoarding. We're going to look at the most common underlying reasons that hoarding happens. That's not to say the causes because remember, We aren't certain, no one can tell you, no one is certain, no matter how much of an expert they're purported to be, what causes hoarding. But we can say that certain other mental and physical conditions put a person at increased risk that hoarding disorder will also develop. You're going to need to know a little bit about these other conditions in case they are present and you haven't identified them. Because if you haven't identified them, you actually have two hands tied behind your back while you're trying to deal with this. And if you're going to develop a plan, 
and you don't factor in the other accompanying difficulties, that plan doesn't stand a very good chance of letting you deal effectively with the hoarding situation that concerns you. Now, I want to remind you of a few things we've already covered in other shows and some resources that are on my website, hoarding.ca, under the radio show title. I want you to go back after the show, if you haven't already, and take the quiz, Are You a Hoarder in the Making? There's nothing magic about the word hoarding, all right? Those shows have given it a bad name. It's hoarding a long time before it ever got to the state that a show is interested in producing something that is really more about good television than hoarding disorder. Now, sometimes when someone's lived with a hoarding problem for a while and it's gotten ahead of them and it's really overwhelming them, I hear them say, I'd really like to tackle the problem on my own. And if that's the way you feel right now, I'm going to ask you to consider that at a certain point, if you're not making progress in, let's say, a month, please call for help because a month becomes a year very easily. If there aren't hoarding-informed resources for counseling and therapeutic intervention in your neighborhood, in your area, you can call me at 1-613-492-0700 and we can set up some distance counseling until you can find help closer to home. But don't delay. Don't wait for the perfect situation to arise to make it easy because it's never easier than it is right now. Also, If you've already tried unsuccessfully numerous times to seek help to manage what may be developing or already have developed into a more serious problem, please call now. Don't wait. Here are some key hoarding messages that I want you to keep in mind. Every day, my little bit of fun for myself is to go on Google Analytics and look who in the last week has visited my website and what pages they looked at, so what information they were searching for. And this past week, I had hits from 17 different countries, most of whom don't even speak the same language. And they're all looking for the same thing. They're looking for help for hoarding for themselves or for someone they care about. So be sure that, be comfortable that hoarding is found in all cultures. It's found in all income brackets. The only thing different sometimes is the price tag on the item. And it doesn't respect education levels as well. I have had people with multiple postgraduate degrees successful in their areas of employment who go home to unimaginable conditions. And I've had people who can hardly read who have Still a hoarding situation, but it's far less serious. 
hoarding doesn't um, it doesn't resolve itself easily. Um, interventions are often quite complicated. They're as complicated as the person and the reasons that they hoard, the reasons that they maintain the hoard, and the reasons that prevent them from resolving the hoard. And depending on how long it has gone on, it can also be a very costly situation. Most hoarders, in fact, I haven't met any in the last more than 14 years who wake up one morning and say, gee, I think I have enough. So that acquisition is very costly. And that means that the intervention and the cleanup and the resolution can also be costly. And it's also time-consuming because it's very important that if anybody is going to help you resolve this, that they respect the pace that you can work at. So it's as time-consuming as you need it to be. Because hoarding is a compulsive behavior, let's tell each other the truth here. It is a compulsive behavior. Without proper identification, Without the right kind of help, not just any old help, not coming in and cleaning up. If all you do is clean up, you're going to be cleaning up forever because it will continue to deteriorate until the health and the safety of both the individual and at a certain point, the community are put at risk. Now, in previous shows, we've talked more in detail about the official definition of hoarding in the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health Disorders, version 5, but we're just going to go over today in case this is your first show that you're tuning into, the working definition. If you want to know that about any situation that you suspect or fear might be hoarding, this is the definition These are the three criteria I want you to go back to. Always go back to the definition. Hoarding is what most people would describe as an excessive accumulation and a failure to discard. Now, I like to say a failure to discard proportionately. And that can be just inanimate things, or it can be animals, or it can be the combination That does not mean one thing in and one thing out. It means that somehow that safety mechanism of having an inherent sense of when things are starting to get out of proportion and kicking into a resolution behavior mode, somehow that's become damaged. Second criteria. The activities of daily life are or have started to become impaired. They can't happen the way they need to happen or should happen because the spaces can't be used for their intended purpose. Now, if you're wondering what activities of daily life are, go to my website, hoarding.ca. I have a very comprehensive, expressly designed activities of daily living quiz there. Those are the activities that I'm talking about that most affect hoarding. Third criteria, distress or impairment in functioning has started to happen to the person who's hoarding or to others. 
Now, the interesting thing about that criteria is that it doesn't have to be active distress. If someone knew the truth about the condition of the property, they would have cause to be concerned. That dis- that criteria for distress has been met. That can be your family, friends, neighbors, children's services, animal control, the fire department, bylaw, property standards, your landlord, your mortgage company, your insurance company. Those are the three criteria, all right? Just write that down. Uh, Go back and listen to the show after. If you didn't get it all, write it down. That's your Bible about whether something is actually hoarding or not or becoming hoarding. Now, you're going to hear two terms, hoarding and cluttering, used interchangeably. They're not quite the same thing. Generally, hoarders, um, let's start with clutterers. Generally, if an individual clutters, all right, they can discard things more easily. There isn't as much to decide. And the clutter hasn't started to interfere with their lives to the same extent. Now, here's the catch, though. Not every person who creates clutter, who has clutter in their home, is going to go on to hoard. All right. That would be a huge exaggeration of the truth. But in more than 14 years, folks, every single person who ended up in even a mild hoarding situation moving right forward to the most extreme hoarding situation imaginable, and I have dealt with many of those, they all started out saying that they started with clutter. So the question we don't have an answer to is, is clutter actually a stage in what is going to go on to create the life cycle of hoarding? If you don't remember anything else from this show today, I want you to remember the next piece of information I'm going to give you. There are two essentials for success. Long-term success or short-term success. You have to get people help for the underlying reasons that they hoard in the first place. That they save and that they don't resolve the hoard by a means that thins the process. The second thing that is absolutely necessary is that we do have to clean up the property because the condition, the extreme nature, if that's what has developed, is the byproduct of the fact that this behavior, this disorder is untreated. Those two things have to happen at the same time. And it's not just going in and cleaning up. It's cleaning up therapeutically so that you develop insight and understanding about why this has happened, why it keeps happening to you, and what you can do about it. Very quickly, I want to just remind you about the types of hoarding. So basically, there are three types. One is standard hoarding because it meets the standard. It meets those three criteria. And then there are two or three subtypes under that. 
One is called indiscriminate. That's that everything known to man is kept. It's kept chaotically. Anything imaginable can and is hoarded. The second subtype is discriminate hoarding. Discriminate hoarding is when one or a few categories of things have particular attraction value and high value, high value to acquire and keep. And then sometimes when things have gotten out of control, you can get a combined. The discriminate, those few lovely things you love and want, get mixed in with all kinds of other things and you can't tell, you can't tell where they are. The second type of hoarding is called Diogenes syndrome, and we usually find this among our senior population, but it's only that we find it then. This has been happening for a long time, and it is hallmarked by abject self-neglect and squalor, unbelievable living conditions, people eating rotten food, and and insisting that there's nothing wrong with it, living with human waste. Um, the third type of, of hoarding is called animal hoarding. We did a whole show. In fact, we did two shows with Dr. Gary Petronic. Please, if you're interested in animal hoarding or there are animals involved with the hoarding situation you're concerned about, please do yourself a favor and the animals a favor and go back and listen to those two shows. You can't get better information. When you boil down all of the research, all of my experience, all of the experience that has come to me through all of the people that I train all over the world, hoarding breaks down, as I see it, into basically three paths. And just before we go to break, I'm going to give you the names of these. The first is genetics, okay? Genetics. There's a genetic path to some types of hoarding behavior. Having a high-risk comorbid factor. That's just a $5 word for other accompanying condition. The third path. People who are chronically overwhelmed and then become vulnerable. If you're one of those people, please, please stay tuned for the rest of the information. We're going to go to break now. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about those three paths because that third path, chronically overwhelmed and vulnerable, I believe most people are at risk of creating a hoarding situation if that happens to them. We'll see you back after the break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey Investment Education and Asset Management Firm. 
firm, and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732-380-7271. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about three paths to hoarding behavior. Genetics, having a high-risk comorbid condition, or being chronically overwhelmed and then experiencing vulnerability. Something happens in life. You know, we have that expression, things ha- bad things happen in threes. Well, maybe that is is a saying because... That's the way it's experienced by so many people. So let's talk just a tiny bit about the genetics of hoarding. We know that 84% of hoarders have a first-degree family relative who hoards. That means a mother, father, sister, brother. And if you grew up in a hoarded home, I often see that one of two things happens. You either go to the other extreme and become a minimalist or... You fight the tendency yourself. We have we know that three chromosomes have markers in common. And in subsequent shows, as I roll out more detailed information about hoarding disorder in, in following shows and how to intervene, what to do, what not to do, um, and do a little training as well for professionals or people who are doing this with this kind of work with people who hoard, um, more information will be contained in shows. I don't want to take our time today. So remember that if 85% of people who hoard have a first-degree family relative who hoards and they grew up, imagine on top of that the power of modeling behavior within the family. Sometimes you can't hit the target because you don't know what the target looks like. Let's talk a little bit about having a high-risk comorbid condition. I'm just going to read the list of other accompanying mental health challenges that coexist more commonly with hoarding. Do they cause it? 
No, they don't. But they certainly make dealing with your hoarding disorder more difficult because now you have two or more balls in the air that you need to deal with. As I read this list, I want you to think of what it's like to live with these disorders. If you're tuning in because you you love someone who hoards, I want you to think about what the side effects of, of medication for these disorders um, is like and how much more difficult uh, that makes it for the person who hoards. The reason I want you to do that is because I want you to be able to more fully appreciate what you're asking of the person when you ask them, well, just clean up. We'll just do a little bit every day. Well, just, there is no well just. People are legitimately usually doing the very best they can figure out. Here's the list. Depression. Anxiety disorders eating disorders, addictions. Now, addiction can be a bit of a deal breaker, folks. If addiction exists, nothing else is going to work. Nothing else is going to work until the addiction is dealt with. And the reason is that addiction is so pervasive in the men, in the the thinking in the behavior of an individual that there isn't any room for anything else so really what you're looking at there is maintaining and harm reduction if you have someone who has created a hoard living in a hoarding environment with an addiction ticks tourettes autism schizophrenia dementia or suspected dementia. You might want to look up the work by Huang et al. that was published in 1998. I know it's old research, but it's excellent. And Huang is H-W-A-N-G. Social phobia. You might want to look up the work done by Gail Steckety, S-T-E-K-E-T-E-E et al. published in 2000. Personality disorders, obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, avoidant personality disorder. Imagine trying to get someone to accomplish um, tasks on a plan with avoidant personality disorder, dependent personality disorder, or paranoid personality disorder. There often is a bit of an element of paranoia or extreme suspiciousness in Diogenes syndrome. We also find social isolation, and that's not surprising. And it's very damaging because then the person only has their own thoughts. And it happens as a function of hoarding. When people aren't comfortable inviting others home, a frequent side effect of that is that they become uncomfortable accepting invitations. And so sometimes they become increasingly and then totally isolated. Isolation is very bad for our mental health. It's not that great for our physical health either. ADD and ADHD. If you suspect that someone who hoards has ADD or ADHD, I would suggest you look up the work by Hartle et al., H-A-R-T-L, published in 2003. 
dementia and Alzheimer's. There isn't any good news on dementia and Alzheimer's. You're looking at harm reduction. You're looking at maintaining the environment. There really isn't um, a good resolution outcome for individuals who are living with any degree of dementia and Alzheimer's. Aging and with mobility issues. Now, this is an interesting one because I have found many seniors who really don't fit the criteria psychologically for hoarding, and yet they're living in a hoarded environment. And when I ask them what's happening, they are very, very reluctant to call in for help and raise the flag that they can't manage because they don't want to be assessed and lose their independence. Traumatic life events. Remember that third criteria? Chronically disorganized to some extent and then made vulnerable. Trauma, loss um, can, can create that sense of being overwhelmed. And then when that goes on long enough, depression, anxiety, social isolation, and biological factors. We talked about those chromosomes with markers in common in some types of hoarding disorder, remember? The other thing that we suspect, all right, is that there are deficits. There are um, the process of processing information um, can be defective or deficient. And so if we're looking at attention, the ability to focus, the ability to uh, make a plan, follow a plan, I would suggest that you look at the work by Duffany et al., D-U-F-F-A-N-Y, published in 2003. Some people, and this can happen, I see more often with the discriminant hoarder, because categorization of the items that are actually collections is extremely difficult. And if you can't categorize, you can't figure out which among those is more important to you than others. And some people don't have an inherent sense of being able to categorize things, particularly when it's complicated by the fact that everything they have, they love, and it's all seen as equally important or unique. And so you might want to look at the work done by WINS, W-I-N-C-Z-E, published in 2000. Memory can be a problem or a perceived problem. More often, when memory is perceived as a problem, but when you actually test it, it isn't a problem, um, then it's more about losing confidence. It's more about not trusting your memory. And you see that played out when drawers and cupboards are empty and everything is out because the person believes that if they can't see it, they won't remember it. So all these, all the clutter is left out as a memory aid. You might want to look up work by Hartle, H-A-R-T-L et al, published in 2003. Decision-making can be um, a difficulty for people to, it's grossly underestimated how exhausting it is 
to make decisions. And later on in this program and in subsequent programs, I'm going to take you through some really user-friendly, simplified ways to help people make decisions and to make decisions that they can live with. Because in that decision-making process, folks, you do not want to create a void. It isn't a matter of getting rid of things. It's a matter of selecting out the things you love the most and helping the person change their relationship to their things so that they can keep, identify and keep the things that are most important to them and let go in some way of the things that are less important. Chronically overwhelmed and vulnerable. If your default behavior under sufficient stress from whatever source, positive or negative, positive things can be a real stressor as well, is to do one of two things. So basically it divides into two camps. To fill the void by acquiring things or saving them so that those things give you that little jolt of joy, that little pick-me-up. Okay, that's one camp. And the other camp is to stop processing the things of everyday life that come into your environment. And that could be open tins of food. It could be the packaging from things. It could be the bags from groceries or shopping. It could be toilet paper rolls. It could be anything just the products of everyday life, just stop processing them and shut down. Then they build up, all right? And then sometimes it's a long way down the road before the person wakes up one day and goes, when did this happen? The question then I want you to ask yourself is, how well are you or your loved one taking care of both of your physical and mental health? Because it's the balance of your physical, good physical and mental health that is so important to life having a meaning. And when life doesn't have a meaning or you're so overwhelmed you give up and shut down, then stuff builds up around you. But it all goes back to your good self-care. And if you feel immune from this, that this could never happen to you, I want you to ask yourself, don't be so certain. What would it take to overwhelm you? Because even if you're helping someone you love who hoards, this in some form can happen to just about anybody. When people become overwhelmed, it becomes extremely difficult for them. Extremely difficult for them to make decisions. And then the stuff starts to build up. Let's talk a little bit about the characteristics, what we know about who is a hoarder or who who creates that, that disorder in themselves, eh? <clears throat> so there are eight or nine characteristics. Now, these don't exist in every single person. But if you look at the po- full population of people who end up in a hoarding situation, these will be true. First of all, they access soothing and pick me up in those little jolts of joy through things. Obsession with losing important items and the disproportionate number of things 
makes it even more difficult for them to manage their things and quell that fear that if they don't keep it, they'll lose it. And each of those things can be considered potentially important. I might need it just in case. Sometimes when people become very ill, they start to fuse with their things. It's like the essence of an individual. Sometimes you find this with grief, but you can also find it with the need to control items as well. People fuse. So it's like their energy, their essence, their identity somehow is transferred to the thing and they fuse with their things. The absence of control heightens the need in their life, increases their need to control their things. Because life is so out of control, this is the one thing they can do, which is keep everything in case they make a mistake and let it out of their control. Discarding is unproductive. And it's difficult. It's overwhelming as well. So they avoid it. Or when they start it, they end the process quickly. By the time they pick up the third thing, they've given up. Distress and avoidance are part both of acquiring, distress at acquiring, distress at not acquiring. So it's avoided. Distress at deciding and discarding is complicated and distressing so it's avoided and that heightens their own personal dysregulation grief-like feelings when discarding due to intense initial attachment to the object or the meaning that they've attached to it excessive responsibility for possessions deciding about sat um who to give things to, where's the right place to give it, who will appreciate it, unrealistic expectations about being able to control that. A high prevalence of perfectionism heightens the distress when making decisions. And perfectionism is a tremendous demotivation factor in being able to handle decision-making. So the client abandons it and and they abandon the decluttering activity as well, leaving things disorganized. Distorted beliefs about normal life activities and emotional attachment to possessions, often in place of reciprocal relationships, things have become a source of comfort and joy, not personal relationships. So, when we come back from the break in just a minute or two, we're going to talk about unproductive thinking styles, the, the thinking that gets in the way of making a decision and complicates it tremendously. So I'll see you back after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We were talking about how items, possessions, can overtake the importance and the availability of good, healthy uh, relationships that sustain people. And when people limit themselves to things, having the power, giving them the power to give them that meaning, joy, satisfaction. I hope you tune in to some of the upcoming shows when I talk about um, how to get past that, what the do's and don'ts are, um, and what is sound uh, practice in helping people deal with their things and their thinking. Okay, the thinking that gets in the way. And that's what I want to focus on in this third segment. I call it unproductive thinking. And there are many different um, theorists who use these same um, 11 um, thinking styles. Um, They disrupt um, mental health enormously. We're going to start with all or nothing thinking. When you only give yourself the chance of something being absolutely right or absolutely wrong, you're looking for a level of perfection that does not exist in the real world. It's all or it's nothing. Life and truth is found in the, in the gray zones. All right. Nothing is all or not right wrong, helpful. And when you do that, when you, you, your thinking becomes polarized like that, 
you don't give yourself a full range of options. All right. One of the books that I would really, really recommend is Dr. David Burns' workbook, 10 Days to Self-Esteem. He has wonderfully descriptive, helpful, user-friendly models, um, modules, sorry, um, for dealing with these unproductive thinking uh, patterns. All or nothing is a real killer because it stops you dead in your tracks from moving forward. Because if you can't do the right, perfect, complete thing as you see it, then the knee-jerk reaction to that is often, then I don't even start. And you never have all of the information, ever, ever, ever. The second unproductive thinking style is overgeneralization. Overgeneralization is when maybe you've tried something before and it didn't work well. And now in a completely different context, a completely different time, completely different elements of a situation, you generalize from that that negative experience and you don't even give yourself a chance to try it in the new constellation of reality, all right? You say, oh, you know, I tried counseling one time and it, you know, didn't work. Um, and so I won't try it again because A equals B. No, A equals A and B equals B. And it's it shuts you down. It prevents you from learning. It prevents you from teasing out the elements that made something unproductive and avoiding them in this new situation. The third unproductive thinking style is jumping to conclusions. And sometimes when an individual um, perhaps is intimidated, they're overwhelmed, they're not very assertive, um, they read into things. And, you know, sometimes when they read into it, it's more about their fear of failure and they jump to conclusions. So, for instance, someone might um, have yawned when someone was talking, and they jump to conclusions that the person is bored, when really maybe that individual is yawning for an entirely different reason. And so jumping to conclusions also makes you stay in your own head, and it limits It limits your ability to learn because you never check the facts. You never ask the person, am I boring you? Um, If someone laughs and the situation wasn't funny, did I say something that was funny? Um, You never check the facts. And the best plans are always based on fact. The most facts that you can acquire at that time. The fourth unproductive, unproductive thinking style is magnification or catastrophizing. So magnification and catastrophizing is something happens and you apply a meaning that makes it bigger than life. So it's completely overwhelming and 
this little thing that if you had looked at it more factually, you would have been able to figure out a way around it and understand it better for what it truly is becomes this overwhelming, intimidating situation that you back away from and avoid. And if you avoid a problem, it's only going to get bigger. It never gets easier than now. Start from facts. Discounting the positive. We find this all the time with people. Just watch how many people, when you give them a compliment, oh, yeah, but oh, it doesn't count. And one of the things that I say is that, you know, life is a little like a cup. And we have to keep ourselves in a healthy balance of positive and reality. And if we can't fill our cup by legitimate things that are positive that perhaps other people say or we say to ourselves about ourselves, then we are emptying our cup and we don't have the fuel or the motivation, the self-esteem or the confidence. We're eroding and giving away our confidence. And there's no need to do that. Nobody has to be perfect to be worthwhile. I say Each one of us, myself included, is a flawed, imperfect human being just the way we're supposed to be. And sometimes our flaws are our most endearing qualities. The sixth type of unproductive thinking is emotional reasoning. Because I feel it, it must be true. No, feelings aren't facts. We need to know our feelings. We need to respect our feelings. We need to be um, mindful of them. We need to experience them and legitimize them. But you don't make a decision based just on the feel. You've got to balance it with the rational part. So what do the facts tell you? Feelings are not facts. Feelings are just the way we're processing it and the meaning we give to things. So it's in the balance of respecting our feelings and dealing with facts, challenging them. The next unproductive thinking style is moral reasoning, all the shoulds. Okay, I should do this, you should do that. It's not right, it's wrong if it's not perfect. Moral reasoning, um, when, I, when my clients start to talk about, you know, I should do this, should never made anybody do or accomplish anything, folks. Should is a shovel that just digs you in that rut even deeper. Stop your shoulding yourself. Look at what needs doing honestly and truly, how much fuel you have in the tank, all right? So if it's been a great day and you've got lots of energy, then give yourself 15 minutes to do what you believe needs doing. Every time you hear yourself say should, I want you to do something. I want you to put your your hand on your tummy and I want you to go, and expel. Okay, expect all the air you can out of your lungs every single time you say should, because that's exactly what you do to yourself. You empty yourself when you should. That's like going out to your car and letting the air out of the tires and expecting that car to get you somewhere. 
the rules are rules. They're, they are guidelines. They are not moral shoulds. Double standard. One, one set of rules applies for me. One set of rules applies for the other guy. The double standard can work both ways, though. I either let myself off the hook because I feel incapable, and so I come up with a lot of limiting beliefs about what I can and can't do and what's possible, but I expect that other people will meet a very different standard. That's one way it plays out. The other way it plays out and this happens, I think, more often, is I am my own worst enemy. I am so tough on myself that the other guy I can make excuses for, well, that's not as important, but I have to reach a level of of performance and expectation that's unrealistic given my current conditions. The context is everything. And be careful with this double standard. Whose voice is on that tape? And is is what you're requiring, what you should you yourself about, is it you today moving forward? Labeling is the next one. Labeling, people are more than the problems they have and the labels that people give them. Uh, labeling is a really destructive, limiting belief. Okay, you're allowed to be whoever you need to be unapologetically, all right? You don't have to be perfect. And when you you admit to having created a horde, you are more than that. That is a reality if it exists in your environment, but you are more than the labels. Underestimating oneself right out of the gate deciding that something just isn't possible. I don't think I can do it. You only see the problems. You never stop and look at the other side. Okay, but what resources do I have? What do I have on the other side of the scale to help me make baby steps of progress? One of the most dangerous uh, unproductive thinking styles is overestimating oneself. The reason that that is so important not to do is that sometimes you promised yourself, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean that whole table. I'm going to clean that whole room. Oh, no. You know, the whole house will only take me the weekend. If I really get down to it, I should be able to do that. And then if you're making that undertaking to yourself, how defeated, how much of a failure are you going to feel when you overestimated, all right? Always measure what you want to accomplish by how much steam is in the tank, how much energy do you have, and be very careful not to overestimate when you're talking about dealing with the fire department, your mortgage company, your insurance company, uh, children's services, animal control, bylaw, property standards. Be very careful not to overestimate what you're able to accomplish. In shows coming up, we're going to be talking about saving patterns, the three types of saving patterns. We're going to talk about what works. Um, We're going to look at some studies that have shown what works and what doesn't work. We're going to talk about really and truly why hoarding is important to deal with. 
All right. We're going to talk about hoarding indicators. What if if you're not someone who is creating the hoard? What do those signs that you're picking up? Could they indicate hoarding? We're going to talk about the process of hoarding and how to motivate change behavior in an individual. And we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts. Yes, there are do's and don'ts about hoarding. Do's and don'ts to, to do to yourself. Do's and don'ts to do with other individuals. We're going to talk about hoarding cleanup interventions. What is the process to be followed? What are the tools you need? Who do you need on your team? I hope you join in next week and in the upcoming shows. I hope you take a few minutes and go back and listen to the other shows. There is a wealth of information that Voice America's Variety Channel is making available to you. Please make use of it. And I hope that you're very gentle with yourself. Uh, In the meantime, you take care, and I hope to see you, hear from you next week. Take care, folks. Have a great week and be gentle with yourself. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Elaine Birchall for another edition of Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you declutter your home and your life again next week.